0: ما نحن مصلحون ألا إنهم هم المفسدون ولكن لا يشعون وإذا قيل لهم آمنوا كما آمن الناس قالوا أنؤمن كما آمن السفهاء ألا إنهم هم السفهاء وكان الذين آمنوا قالوا آمنا وإذا خلوا إلى منهم قالوا إنا معكم إنما نحن مستهزئون الله يستهزئ بهم ويمدهم في طغيانهم يعمرون دين اشتروا الضلاله بالهدى فما ربح تجارتهم وما ربح تجارتهم وما كانوا مهتدين مثلهم كمثل الذي استوقد نارا فلما اطفأها فهب الله بنورهم وتركهم في ظلمات لا يبصرون صموا بكم عمي فهم لا يرجعون أو كصيب من السماء فيه ظلمات ورعد وبرق فاجعلونا صابعهم في آذانهم من الصواعق حذر الموت الله محيط بالكافرين يكاد البرق يخطف أبصارهم كلما أضاء لهم مشوا وإذا أظلم عليهم قاموا ولو شاء الله لذهب بسمعهم وأبصارهم إنهم ان الله على كل شيء قدير يا ايها الناس عبدوا ربكم الذي خلقكم والذين من قبلكم لعلكم تتقون الذي جعل لكم الارض فراشا والسماء Okay.
1: (تصفيق) Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala ashraf al-Nbiya'i wal-Mursaleen. Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. alhamdulillah um, good morning to everybody um, for those of you who are um, i'm noticing that uh, there are a lot of um, people who are not muslims who are following along and listening uh, and i do appreciate you know you guys taking time out of your busy lives and your busy schedules to follow along um your followers much appreciated you're listening and uh, i hope you know you're able to take away some benefit From our discussions and so for the Muslims that are listening, I want you guys to keep in mind that. um, For I would say if i'm not exaggerating about maybe 20% to 25% of the people that are listening are not Muslim. Um, I would say another maybe 60% are people who are new Muslims within the first five years of Islam and people are really trying to find their way so. For the Muslims that are listening that have it all figured out, you know, just be mindful and let allow others to benefit, allow others to benefit. Um, I know I don't get a chance to shout out everybody. I see people coming on and, you know, personally um, saying good morning and shouting me out. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Thank you all for listening. Um, you are appreciated dearly. Um, For those of you guys who are on Instagram, um, I just set up the uh, badges uh, on Instagram so you can purchase a badge Um, and the donations that you use, um, um, the donations that you give to these badges uh, will go to Masjid Arolda. So if you want to leave a donation, $5, $2, $3, you know, um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the amount. Don't feel ashamed, don't feel shy. You can give a dollar, you can give $5, you can give $20. However much you feel, um but know that any donation that you make to my page or any badge that you buy on my Instagram page that goes straight to Masjid Al-Robah. Masjid ar robah inshallah. All right, jazakallahu khayran. So, um alhamdulillah hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi kama yuhibbu rabbuna wa وصلى الله على نبيل محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا اللهم بك أصبحنا وبك أمسينا وبك نحيا وبك نموت وإلك النشور رضيت بالله رب وبالإسلام دين وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم النبيه ورسولا سبحان الله وبحمده عدد خلقه ورضى نفسه وزينة عرشه ومداد كلماته سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَبِحَمْدِهِ عَدَدَ خَلْقِهِ وَرِضَى نَفْسِهِ عَرْشِهِ وَمِدَادْ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَبِحَمْدِهِ عَدَدَ خَلْقِهِ وَرِضَى نَفْسِهِ عَرْشِهِ وَمِدَادْ The Prophet said these three words, these three phrases, these three phrases is enough to cover the dua that it would take a person to make or the Praising of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that a person could make within hours. The Prophet sallallahu found his wife making dhikr. He left out after Fajr, came back, found his wife still making dhikr. And he said, you're still sitting here making dhikr. This is what teaches you quanti- quality over quantity. He left out to go pray Salatul fajr in jama'ah. And um, he found his wife making dhikr. When he came back. After the prayer, hours later, he found his wife still sitting in the same place making dhikr. And he asked his wife, Are you still sitting here making dhikr? She said, Yes. He said, I know four phrases that you could say three times that would be better than all of the dhikr that you just sat here and made. Here again, quality over quantity. It's not about how much. (laughs) It's not about how much. Like you could we could actually cut the time down. We can take detours. If you just have knowledge, knowledge will get you to your destination quicker rather than a person not having knowledge and making a lot of mistakes or taking the long route to get to the destination, knowledge will help you get to the destination quicker. And the Prophet ﷺ said that I know four phrases, if you were to say them three times, it would be better than the dhikr and all, all of the dhikr that you just sat here and made all of this time. SubhanAllahi wa bihamdihi adada khalqihi Glory be to Allah and all the praise be to Allah for the amount the amount of his creation. Meaning from the insects to the to the animals to the jinn, to the human beings, to the to the angels, every living creature in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves to be praised. God deserves to be praised more than the amount of his creation. And Allah deserves to be praised to the degree that He is pleased with Himself. تعالشيه, and Allah, the weight of Allah's praise should be the weight of his throne, which is the heaviest thing in creation. That's the, the weight, the depth of his praise should be the weight of the throne. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves to be praised, is worthy of praise to the extent of his words. To the extent of his words. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's a verse in the Qur'an well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if we were to take the seven oceans and add seven of other, seven other oceans to it and turn all of that water into ink and take all of the trees on the earth and turn them into pins, whereby we could write out the words and explain the words of Allah, we will run out of ink before we could explain the words of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so we're talking about rules to the game. Rules to the game. Five hacks that will improve your marriage. So we talked about um, the the first hack, which was uh, learn to play catch, not tennis. Right? Learn to play catch, not tennis. Number two uh, is to get back to the pre-conflict state of marriage. Right? Don't get wrapped up in you know the the grievances and the, the gripes. Don't get wrapped up in the arguing. Don't get wrapped up in that. Get back to the pre-conflict state, that state when most people say, uh, when we're good, we're good. Get back to that place. If you hear people say, you know, um, when we're good, we're good. And when we're bad, we're bad. When we're good, when we're, when we're good, we're good. That is the pre-conflict state. That is the state that you want to make as your default in your marriage. You want to always exist in that space that when we're good, we're good. You want to get back to that place. Some people get wrapped up in the arguments and the debates and being right and you're wrong and proving this one and proving that one. You get so wrapped up in that. You forget all about the pre-conflict state. And we use the example of Aisha and the Prophet uh as the um, as the backdrop for that. The uh, number two was validate the emotion without defending the action. Right? Don't worry about trying to de- justify the action when you see that your action has made your spouse made your spouse feel a certain way or affected them a certain way. Rush to cure the emotion. Rush to heal the emotion rather than justifying your action, all right? It's selfish to run and justify the action when you see your spouse sitting there hurting because of something that you did or something that you said, all right? Skip the action. Skip justifying the action. Rush to the emotion. Cure that first because that's all the person wants in that moment. The person doesn't really care about why you did it or the reason behind you doing it. People don't really care about that. All right. So validate the emotion, not the action. Get back to the pre-conflict state of the marriage. All right. So now we're moving along. That's uh, one, two, three. And we move on to the next, number four, which is aim for the win-win. Aim for the win-win. All right. So the next time you get into an argument, a debate or disagreement with your spouse, I want you to keep these things in mind that I'm about to mention. During conflict and disagreements, there are usually three types of outcomes. There's usually three types of outcomes. When there's an argument, there's a debate, you know, there's a disagreement, there are usually three types of outcomes. The first one is a win-lose. One person wins, the other person loses. This usually happens when one spouse is trying to get their point across to win the argument. And although he or she manages to prove their point, the other spouse loses because they were not heard. It's not that, you know, I didn't get a chance to present my argument. No, you presented your argument, but even though you presented your argument, your spouse didn't even hear you. You weren't heard. The loss is not proving that your spouse is wrong or right. The loss is not being heard in in a dialogue. It's a dialogue, right? That's the loss. You ever get into a, a back and forth with your spouse and you're trying to present your case, your spouse is trying to present their case, right? And their spouse presents their case and that's it. They walk away and you just feel like, well, I guess, I guess what I had to say really didn't matter. Right? I guess my perspective on it didn't really matter right? That's the loss. It's a selfish uh, selfish, uh, approach that stems from the incessant need to be right all the time, right? Anybody here have the incessant need to be right all the time? Some some of us is just inherent. It's just natural. That's just who we are as individuals. We just have to be right. (laughs) Anybody here like that? Raise your hand. Take ownership. Take ownership. You just absolutely have to be right all the time. And that's a toxic trait, man. That's a toxic trait. In in relationships, you can either be right and single, or you can be wrong sometimes and happily married, but you can't have both. You you can't have it both ways. You can either be right all the time and then you will end up being single or you can be right sometimes and wrong sometimes and you can be happily married. You have to pick and choose your battles. But the what we shouldn't be aiming for when there's an argument or there's a conflict, we shouldn't be aiming for me to win. How how do you want yourself to win? How how do you Expect to be a power couple if both of you don't win, right? How do you expect to be a power couple when both of you are not winning? When one person is winning, when one person is earning all of the money and rubbing it in the other person's face, when one person is paying all the bills and the other person gets to flaunt, you know, whatever they flaunt because they don't have to come up out of their pockets for nothing. That's not a win-win situation. That's one person winning, the other person losing. It's selfish. And we do it all the time. If your husband is paying all the bills, then you should be offsetting that. You should be meeting him by giving him the same amount of thanks and the same amount of appreciation, the same amount of shukr. The Prophet did he not say, "He who does not thank the people has not thanked Allah Subhanahu wa Taala." Don't sit back and say, "Well, you know, my husband pay all the bills. I don't have to pay the bill." That's that's so arrogant. How about my husband pays all the bills and I'm so grateful. I appreciate the fact that he does that. So for the amount of bills your husband pays, you offset that with the same amount of appreciation and gratitude. So he doesn't feel the weight of it. Men get funky about their money when they men don't mind giving, but it's the lack of appreciation that makes a man start to resent giving. That makes a man start to withhold. That makes a man start to, you know, you know, complain about spending money. Fellows, am I right or wrong? The men that are listening, right or wrong? Men don't mind giving. They don't mind spending because they know they got to do it anyway. What if you're the one who pays all the bills and still still him the utmost respect and you don't get respect? Well, respect has to be one of your value systems. If you are in a marriage, in a relationship with someone, and the person is constantly disrespecting you, then you have to ask yourself, at what point did I give this person permission to disrespect me? people will only do to you what you allow them to do. We have to take ownership. You have to take ownership. There is nobody in my life that disrespects me. Why? Because I don't tolerate disrespect. I don't tolerate disrespect. I don't have one person in my life right now that disrespects me on a constant basis. Has disrespect ever taken place? Yeah. Was it corrected? Yes. Was it checked? Yes. Was it addressed? Yes. But there is no one in my life that continuously disrespects me and disregards me because that's not something that I tolerate. I teach people how I want to be treated. And if the person is not meeting me where I want to be met in my life, then I don't have room in my life for you. I don't have room in my life for you. It's just simple as that. So if you're paying all the bills and your spouse is, you know, disregarding you and disrespecting you, then you have to ask yourself, at what point did you give this person permission to do that to you? At what point in your life did you give this person permission to do that? Because I'm sure that the disrespect didn't start at the beginning of the marriage, at the beginning of the relationship, disrespect did not start at the beginning of the relationship. It started, you know, slowly. It was a subtle and slow process. Then you got to go back to the very point, pinpoint the very moment where this person received the green light from you to disrespect you. And then you got to start from there. You got to start from there. So, so this is the win lose. I win, you lose. I prove my point, I got my point across, and you have to sit in your discomfort of not being heard, not being, you know, acknowledged, not being recognized. And that's that. I win, you lose. It's a very selfish way of approaching disagreements, conflicts in a marriage. That's the first one. So if you are a win lose type of person, that's a very immature outlook. And this is something that we have been taught you know growing up from children. We haven't been to this is the binary you either a winner or a loser right all the way down to school right remember the grading system in schools and I'm I'm, I'm guessing some schools probably still use this grading system the letter system right you had some people in the classroom that got an A they were considered the winners star students. And then you had some in the classroom that received an F, which stood for what? Failure. So even within the school system, we're taught that there's a winner and there's a loser. In sports, we're taught that there's a winner and there's a loser. In politics, we're taught that there's a winner and a loser. The president or the the, the people who are the presidential candidates who are going after you know, this particular seat One person wins, one person loses. In sports, we're racing, whether doing track and field, there's a first place, there's a second place, third place, and any place after that doesn't really matter. There's a win, there's a lose. There's a winner, there's a loser. We hear phrases throughout our entire experience. Nobody, everybody loves a winner. Everybody wants to be a part of the winning team, which is one of the reasons why we take failure as You know such a huge loss in our lives we take failure so hard not realizing that you learn most of your life experiences through your failures not through your wins and successes you learn more from your losses than you do your wins i promise you in my own personal life i've learned more through from my failures than i have ever learned from my wins Wins, as a matter of fact, is as a result of failures. But this is what we have been taught in our in our lives, right? We've been taught this, and it's it's unfortunate that we take this along with us into our marriages. That there's a winner and there's a loser. So when there's conflict, when there's you know problem in the marriage. One person has to be the winner and one person has to be the loser. That's all we know. We don't know any other thing. We don't know any other approach. Winner, loser. The second uh, outcome when it comes to conflict is lose-lose. This is where This usually occurs when both spouses are trying to get their point across without consideration for the other person's perspective. I'm trying to get my point across. She's trying to get her point across. I'm not listening to her. She's not listening to me. I'm disregarding what she's saying because what I have to say is more important. She's disregarding what I'm saying because what she has to say is more important. We're both losers in this situation. Did you know that? And although one person, you know, the, these type of disagreements, they can be easily resolved when we stop seeing them as mere binaries of wins and loses, losses, successes and failures, and begin seeing them as, pre, uh, you know, presentation of divergent perspectives that we don't have to necessarily agree with or respect. That That's your opinion. I don't necessarily, I can hear you out. I can hear you all the way out. And not necessarily agree with you. Not necessarily, I I don't have to take that. I don't have to, you know, take on that perspective, but I respect that that's your perspective. That's your experience. I get it. And I can validate that. But when each party is trying to prove that their perspective is more important and is more valid, more substantial, then it's invalidating of the other person's perspective. So in this type of situation, there's a lose-lose. You both lose. So although you both succeed at getting your point across, you both lose, right? Simply because no one was actually heard, and thus the saga continues. Nobody was actually even heard. You didn't even actually hear each other. You didn't hear each other out. She's busy yelling, and sometimes you have to reel it in. You have to say, babe, listen, we can't both talk at the same time. So I'm going to let you talk. And I'm going to be quiet. And then when you're done, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I need you to hear me out. Somebody has to take a step back. Somebody has to step down, humble themselves and say, all right, this is not working. We're shouting at each other. We're raising our voices. You know, children are in the other room. This is not healthy. It's not necessary. So why don't we do this? Why don't you present your perspective? I'll be quiet. And then after you're done, then I need you to hear me out. That's it. You don't necessarily have to agree with me, but I just need to be heard. I just need you to hear me out. That's it. You guys, you guys follow me. Does this make sense? But if you're shouting, we're shouting at each other. No, we both lose in that situation because nobody's perspective is being respected. Nobody's perspective is being heard. This is what you call a lose-lose situation. This is a lose-lose situation. I'm not in the ability of talking over people. I'm not going to talk over you. I'm going to let you talk. However, the danger in this is that here comes the selfishness, the win-lose, because after you say, all right, I'm going to let you get your point across, I'm going to be quiet, let you get your point across, after the person gets their point across, it's like, all right, now, so can I, can I say what I need to say? No, I don't need to hear what you... It's like, oh, okay. So this was a monologue, not a dialogue. So you played me. And you don't have to do that. And there's some, here again, going back to the win-lose situation. Like, we can both win in this situation. This does not have to be a lose-lose or win-lose situation. We can both win in this situation. You can get what you want. I can get what I want. Because I think in conflict, what both people want in conflict more than anything else is just be heard. That's it. Right or wrong? And conflict, I think the one thing that both parties want out of this whole situation, not necessarily to be right or to be told that they're right, but to be heard. That's it. Just want to be heard. I just want to know that you actually considered my perspective. That's it. That's it. You don't have to agree with someone. Let me let me make this very clear. You do not have to agree with someone in order to hear them out. You can simply say, I I totally understand. I get you. For me, when my wife says to me, I get you, you've been, you've been heard. I don't, it doesn't matter to me whether she believes what I'm saying is, is right or wrong. Wallahi, it doesn't even matter at that point. All I want to know is that I've been heard. That's it. When my wife says to me, you've been heard. I don't have anything else to say. When she says, roger that, check, I got you. I overstand you. I know that I've been heard. At that point, I don't care whether what I'm saying is right or wrong. I've been suffice. <laughs> I've been sufficed, I've, I got what I wanted. And I, was, I just wanted to be heard, that's it. So the lose-lose situation is where two people are talking over one another, trying to get their point across without actually hearing the other person or hearing the other person, but you're only listening to develop a response. You're, you're listening only to figure out the loophole so you can respond. All right, can I respond now? All right when your spouse says that to you, well, can I respond now? Or can I say something now that they're, they're showing you by saying that, that they haven't heard a word that you said. Because the whole time you're talking, they're poking holes in what you're saying. They're looking for the loophole or what they have to say is already at the top of the cup, which is about to f- spill over. And they're just waiting for you to close your mouth so they can get it out. They they didn't hear a word you said. They didn't hear a word that you said. These are the little nuances of marriage that we are not concentrating on when we go into these situations. These are the steps that we're missing. These are the steps that we are missing. And it's, it's really unfortunate that, you know, we're just trying to protect that inner kid, right? We're trying to, we're all trying to protect that inner kid, that little kid, the, the same little six, seven, eight year old who, you know, had to yell over everybody had to be right over, you know, I have a, a family member. He was the type of person, um, he was the lose, lose type of person, right? Right. If he can't have it, ain't nobody gonna have it, right? If We're playing a video game, and he thinks it's his turn, or he thinks somebody else need to get off. He's like, "It's my turn," and we're like, "No, it's not your turn." Well, if I can't play, ain't nobody gonna play. He snatches the cord out of the game, runs out of the room, runs outside. It's that type of person, and that type of person, because that type of that person did not work on that behavior trait, that carries on with them into adulthood. That doesn't disappear. You think that these behaviors that we had, that we exercise with our, you know, siblings, with, you know, friends in the neighborhood, you think that these things just disappeared? They didn't disappear. They morphed into the bad habits, the bad qualities that we have with us right now as adults. They didn't disappear because we didn't work on them. We didn't take time to work on them, so they didn't just disappear. And the third type of outcome, which is what we should be aiming for all the time, not just in marriage, but in general, in our lives, we should always aim for the win-win. Aim for the win-win. This is where both spouses take time to make sure that the other person has been heard without reservation or resentment. Two important words. When you have reservations about what the person is saying, you're like, no, that's wrong. That's not how it went. Understand something, this is especially for men. When a woman tells a story, and this is especially for men and women, when a woman is reiterating an incident that happened, it's not going to sound like it happened in the the mind of the man and vice versa. When a man is retelling the story, They're going to leave out little details because this is the way that our brain processes information. Men, we tend to focus on, you know, just the general generality of the situation. We're not looking at the specifics and then women, they kind of go into specific dates and times and what was said and the period and the commas at the end of the sentence. They're they're a little bit more detailed. Some men and some women, not to broad brush it because you have some men who are very detail oriented, and you have some women who are more general as well. But when we tell a story back, it's like, no, that's not the way that it happened. That didn't happen. Oh my God, you're lying. That's not what happened. It's not that it's not, that's not what happened. That was his experience. That's the way he experienced. it. This is why in Islam, there has to be two just witnesses When you bring in somebody to court and something was witnessed on the outside, you need two just witnesses so that if one left out some detail, the other person can fill in the blanks. Because if we were all able to recall detail for detail what we saw, then it would not be necessary to bring two witnesses. One witness would be enough. One witness would be enough. Why are we ordered to bring two just witnesses? You understand? So it's it's very important for us to understand how men and women, how we process things, how we experience things. There are some of us who have experienced trauma and I'm I'm gonna go a little bit beneath beneath the surface a little bit. I need you guys to stay with me for a second. There's some of us who have experienced trauma in our lives right? And as a result of that trauma, we tend to exaggerate things in our minds. Anybody here exaggerate a lot? I'm sure there are people here listening right now, you exaggerate a lot. When you retell a story or when you, you know, when you're telling about an event or something that happened to you, something that took place in your life, you exaggerate And sometimes exaggeration is as a result of trauma that we have experienced in our lives. Some of us, when we retell a narrative or story, we we retell the story with intricate details. Intricate details, that's just innate, that's just who we are, a very detailed oriented person. So this same person, when they're getting into an argument with their spouse about something that happened, something that took place, all of those little nuances are factored in when they're telling their narrative. When they say, no, well, what happened was XYZ. Like as a marriage counselor, sometimes I'll listen to a brother and he presents his story. And I'll let him talk all the way through. And then I'll go to the sister and I'll let her present her story. And she'll say, you know, well, he kind of mentioned this, but he left this out. And, you know, he left that out and he didn't say that and it didn't actually happen like that. And I'll stop her and I'll say, no, it didn't happen like that for you. That wasn't the experience you had, but that was the experience that he had. That doesn't mean that what he's saying is right. Here again, let's get out of this binary of right and wrong. It doesn't mean that when he's telling his part of the story, his narrative, that everything that he's saying is accurate 100%. Obviously, it's not accurate. When we are experiencing, you know, situations, right? Circumstances, situations that we are in, we are experiencing them. We are experiencing them and connecting them to previous experiences that we've had. Sometimes this causes us to hone in on certain details and forget about other things. All of this stuff is, it has to do with previous experiences, experiences that we have had in our lives. It goes so much deeper. But just because a person left out something or added something or whatever the case may be, I'm mature enough to listen to a story and be able to sift through and get to the bottom. Because I don't really care as a counselor. I don't really care about all of the details. I just want to present an environment for you to feel comfortable and safe to vent whatever it is you need to vent. But I'm smart enough to sift through what you're saying to get to the root of, you know, so you vented for 11 minutes. And out of the whole 11 minutes, only roughly 60 seconds, only a minute or two of what you said actually matters to me. I don't really care about all of the underlying details. That was because that's how you tell your story. That's how you process process your narrative. And that's not for me to say, oh no, that didn't happen like that. That didn't happen like that. So we have to stop doing that. Stop doing that to people. If a person is telling you that this is what happened, then you should say in your mind, that's his experience. Well, that's her experience. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's accurate picture. You understand? Even the Prophet ﷺ, he said, taqtasimuna ilayya." He said, some of you come to me arguing and debating an issue. He said, وَلَعَلَّ kum." And some of you are more articulate in the presentation of your uh, your argument than the other person. The Prophet he said that there's some of us who are more articulate than the other person. Doesn't mean that because the person is more articulate in getting their point across that they're right. Articulation is not the indication that you're right. It's not the gauge that a counselor should use to to determine whether or not this person is right and this person is wrong. When two people come to a marriage counselor presenting their argument, the marriage counselor's job is not to say who's right and who's wrong. You're only extending the argument if you do that. And some imams and some students of knowledge and people who are are not qualified, not to say that I'm qualified, but people who are 100% not qualified, They have absolutely no clue. When two people come to them debating an issue, arguing an issue, it's not about you trying to solve who was right and who was wrong. Your job as the listener is, number one, to provide them with an opportunity to explain their story out completely without judgment, without reservation, without resentment, without trying to prove that they're wrong. And to help them have a win-win situation help them have a win-win situation. So if you presented your argument over and over and it seems to be not resolved, what do you suggest? Well, why isn't it getting resolved? Why isn't it getting resolved? There's a bigger question here. And furthermore, what is your idea of resolution? Is your idea of resolution that you're you're right and the other person is wrong or is your idea of resolution where both of us can come out of this situation as winners. I don't know what your idea of resolution is. So, I mean, it's those type of questions require, you know, a little bit more detail. I can't really, I don't really answer questions like that. Is there's too much, too many things, no, too many moving parts to the question. Um, but nonetheless, you, know, you have to look at what is your idea of resolution. If your idea of resolution is that you come out a winner and he owns the fact that he's wrong, then you might not ever get a resolution. Because here again, getting someone to own that they are wrong, getting someone to claim that they are wrong, that is, that is a process because sometimes we associate being wrong with being a failure. We associate being wrong with, you know, there's a lot of things that we associate being wrong with. So this is one of the reasons why people don't ever wanna say they're wrong. You have to change the mentality. The mentality is not to get them to say that they're wrong. The mentality is to get them to understand that being wrong is okay being wrong doesn't mean that you are a failure being wrong doesn't mean that you don't have things all figured out being wrong does not define who you are as a human being it, we have to get to that point that that's a process and that requires you to look deeper at your spouse look deeper at yourself and understand we, ha- we there's this is a mentality these are mentalities that have to be changed Resolution in the sense of hearing and understanding if you're expressing yourself and your feelings and the other doesn't want to allow you to speak on your feelings. Okay, good. If the person is not allowing you to speak on your feelings, um, I mean, here again, you're just giving me something. I, I have to work with what you gave me. I can't get into all of the details of it. But if the person is not giving you an opportunity to express yourself, uh, and express your feelings and speak on how you feel. Then, here again, the person is probably aiming for a win-lose situation because the person feels like if they give you space and opportunity to express yourself, then they are going to have to take the L. So you may have to cushion the blow and say, "Hey, you know, this is not a win-lose situation. Let's change that mentality. I am not trying to overpower you. I'm not trying to prove you wrong. I'm not trying to make you feel any less of, you know, a spouse." Well, all I need to do is to be able to, you know, speak my truth and be heard. That's it. Why is that so difficult? You know. So the win-win is where both spouses take time to make sure that the other person has been heard without reservation or resentment. They don't seek to dismiss the other person's gripes and grievances by making light of them in an attempt to make their issue seem more important. Right? They don't dismiss the other person's gripes and grievances by making light of them in an attempt to make their issue seem more important. Because when you do that, then you're aiming for a win-lose. When you try to make your issue seem like it's more important than your spouse's, then that's not a win-win. That's a win-lose situation. So when you find you and your spouse, find yourself in that space going back and forth, you have to stop for a moment and you have to say, what type of outcome are we aiming for here? Are we aiming for a win-lose? Are we aiming for a lose-lose? Are we aiming for a win-win? I'm giving you the tools of how to get the win-win. The win-win means that you, you, you make sure that the other person has been heard Without reservation or resentment, I don't walk away feeling any type of way. I don't take it, you know. I don't take it personal. I just realize that that's how you felt. I'm sorry that that's the way you felt. I'll take, you know, I'll take a deeper look at that. I'll, I'll look at that a little bit more. I'll try to avoid, you know, doing that the next time and keep it pushing. I could walk away thinking, you know, but at the same token, I gave you what you needed. You needed to be heard. You needed to be validated, and I gave you that. I don't necessarily have to agree with that. I don't have to agree with that. And I don't have to tell you because that's another thing that we do. We say, well, I don't agree with that, right? <laughs> you don't have, to, like, لَيْسَ <laughs> yuqal." Not everything you know, you have to disclose. Not everything that you know, you have to disclose. You don't have to disclose to your spouse that I don't agree with you on that. I can just simply say, you've been heard. Check. You've been hurt. I hurt you. Why is that so hard? <laughs> nah, I'm, you know, especially for the arrogant. Now, nah, I'm not giving you that. I'm not giving you that. No, because that's wrong. And here again, you're aiming for the win-lose. You're aiming for the win-lose. And, and, and in due time, you'll figure it out. Took me a while to figure that out. I'm I, I'm a fighter. <laughs> I have a high sense of justice, especially when my neck is on the chopping block. Oh no, you're not gonna prove me wrong. I didn't do anything wrong in this situation. This is your fault. And that was me. That was me. 100% that was me. 100% because it stems from my childhood. Here again, a lot of this, you know, these little kids that are inside our body that we have to protect. We have to protect the little you, right? have to protect the little you that little 7 8 year old that little 9 year old that felt dismissed and always blamed for everything and always in trouble for the you know things that they didn't do right and we carry that little kid with us into adulthood and we have to protect that kid and that's what we're doing essentially we're protecting the little child the little immature child that's inside of us I'm going to tell you guys something. If you are not, you may one day end up in a relationship with somebody who calls you out on this. And you walk away feeling like, (laughs) you feel like crap. Because the person called you out on it. And you knew it existed. You knew that this issue was there all along. And this may even start making you resent your spouse because they can see clear through you. They can see straight through you. Some people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bless them with the ability to see straight through an individual. It's called farasa, called insight. And there's there's some people who have that. They're able to see, you know, the issues that are on the surface and they're able to dig deeper and then they're able to give you that. And how are you going to handle that when your spouse kind of call you out on this and you walk away feeling like, This person sees you clearly and you had the opportunity to to begin working on those things. All right? So the win-win situation is where both spouses take the time to make sure that the other person has been heard without reservation or resentment. They don't seek to dismiss the other person's gripes and grievances by making light of them in an attempt to make their issue seem like it's more important. Both parties wanna be heard But the only way that that can happen is when someone has to seek to understand first before trying to be understood. Seek first to understand before trying to be understood. I'll say it again. Seek first to understand before trying to be understood. Seek first to understand before trying to be understood. We do the total opposite, which is why we end up frustrated, angry, resentful towards our spouse because we want to be understood first, and then after you understand me, then I'll try to understand you. That's the problem. Stop me when I'm lying. That's the problem. We have to stop seeing our arguments and disagreements as my win is your loss and your loss is my win. How could you not want to see your spouse win? This is the person you want a relationship with especially as men, because we have somewhat of, you know, an upper hand in the situation. And so as men, we don't wield our authority and our power. You know, it's very frustrating. I can only imagine as a woman, how frustrating it is to want to get your point across to your husband, only for the husband to say, you know, fear the law, obey your husband. That's it. I don't want to talk about it no more. You know, it's just like, all right, so what am I supposed to do at this point when you say I don't want to talk about it no more? Wh- what am I supposed to do because I still want to, I still have issues that are unresolved. What am I supposed to do about it? I, I want men, I want brothers, I want us to understand how dismissive that phrase is, and I want us to find another way to use our authority in a way where we lend some of that power to the woman in the situation where she doesn't feel like she's less than. She has to walk on eggshells. Every time she brings something to your attention, you know, she has to be shut down with, you know, fear of law, obey your husband, and that's it. I don't want to hear nothing else about it. I don't want to talk about it no more. It's just like, all right, so, so what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do in this situation? Do I just turn it off? Emotions don't turn off like that. A lot of the way that I'm feeling and things that I want to say to you are don't just turn on. They're connected to emotions. You understand? The things that I want to say to you, the things that I have to communicate to you are connected to emotions. There's anger. There's resentment. There's frustration. These are all emotions that are connected to the things that I need to talk to you about. So when you say, oh, I don't want to talk about it no more. I'm done with the conversation. All right. Those are emotions that are attached to that. What am I supposed to do with those? What am I supposed to do with the emotions that are attached to the things that I need to say to you? So brothers, rather than saying I don't want to talk about this no more, fear Allah, obey your husband, which is a very dismissive phrase, right? Which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam never used to any of his wives. He never said, you know, I don't want to talk about this no more. Ask yourself, what would the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam do in this situation? He would humble himself and he would listen to the person. He would hear the person out. Or what you could say, if you are flustered, if you are frustrated at this point, And a conversation at this point is really not going to be helpful. You could say, can we talk about this at another time? Sure. When? We could talk about it after soft Fajr. Going back to the point that I mentioned before this is that we have a maximum of three days, right? To avoid one another. We have a maximum of three days, right? So why don't we do this? Why don't you give me up until my three days is up? You know, I I can't tell you when I'm going to be ready to talk about it. But I do know that I will not allow this situation to go beyond the three days that we have. So within the next two days, we'll resolve the issue. I promise. How about that? That's using Quran and using Sunnah. That's using dictates from our religion. The, The thing that puzzles me so much about Muslims, is how we would throw, oh, that's not from the Quran, or that's not from the So We'd be the first people to condemn somebody to hell because something they said or something they did is not part of the Quran or the Sunnah. But then when somebody gives you something from the Quran and the Sunnah, we are the last people to implement. Oh, the hypocrisy. Here again, the behavior of Bani Israel. The behavior of Bani Israel. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran Do you enjoin righteousness on the people and you forget to practice it yourself? Do you enjoin on everybody else to practice the Quran and the Sunnah? Do you condemn everybody else to hell the moment you see something that is not connected to the Qur'an and the Sunnah? Is every other word that comes out of your mouth, where is that from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah? But then when somebody gives you something that you need to implement that is actually from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, you are the last person to practice it. Do you enjoin righteousness and piety upon the people? And you forget to practice it yourself? While you have the book right in front of you, while you have the scholars in front of you, while you have the students of knowledge in front of you, while you are a student of knowledge yourself, while you are an Imam yourself, while you are a scholar yourself, but you forget to practice it yourself, but you enjoin it on everybody else? You'll be the first one to say, oh, that is not from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Where's the delil for that? Well, here I'm giving you some delil from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Don't you have any intellect? Don't you have any sense? you would be the first one to identify something not being from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. But then when somebody gives you something that is clearly from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, we are the last people to practice it. I'm sure there's a heavy price to pay for that one. who will never talk to me about, is that from the Quran and the Sunnah. So rather than shutting the argument down and saying, I don't wanna talk, I don't wanna talk about this right now. It, because if we continue to talk about this, I'm only going to get frustrated. You're going to get frustrated and we're not going to solve the problem. So why don't we table this conversation for another time? When? When? I hope me not being Muslim doesn't get me banned from your life, never, never. Anybody that is not Muslim that is listening, you are more than welcome. You're more than welcome to listen. You're more than welcome to ask questions. If, in fact, I can answer your question, I will do so. You you will never get banned from my live. The only people i ban from my live are people who are disrespectful. That's it. I don't just go around blocking people. (laughs) I don't go around blocking people. I only do that when people are disrespectful. When people want to throw throw a rock in dart, right? Throw a punch and run, those are the type of people that get blocked. Cause if you really wanted to have a conversation with me, I ain't hard to find. So um, the win win situation. We have to stop seeing our arguments. So I'm just giving us something from from our religion that is actually practical. It actually applies. We can, uh, you can say as a husband, that if we continue talking about this right now, it's only gonna continue to frustrate me even more. Why don't we table this conversation for another time? And you can't tell your spouse, let's talk about this another time and not give a time. That's the condition. You have to give a time. when. All right, so we have three days in our religion um, to resolve our conflicts. So why don't you let me let you know within the next day or so, but I promise you that this conversation will not go beyond the three days that are given to us. All right. So that's a solution. And unfortunately, as Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran in Surah number 4 ayat 128 And the soul is driven by its own selfishness. This is one of the reasons right? we're selfish. You know, I, I want what I want, how I want it And and I don't want anybody else to win. Like you you guys are a team, your husband and wife. How could you walk away from this situation And one person feel like a loser and the other person feels like a winner. Like what what type of You know when you become a power couple? And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What is a power couple? A power couple is when two people are able to generate energy within their marriage, and that energy transcends their marriage and begins to affect, positively affect the people that are around them. Then you are a power couple. But if you can't manage to generate that energy between you and your spouse alone, you'll never get to the point of being a power couple. And that should be something that we all aiming for. Power couple is not two people with money, two business moguls who you know decided to get married, put their money together, and they're even more wealthy and rich. That's not a power couple. That's not a power couple. Power couple is people who are to able to generate the energy that is associated with happiness and healthiness and, and health Right? And that energy is able to transcend their marriage and begin to impact and affect other people in a positive way. It makes other people want to get married. It makes other people want to be like them in their marriage. The Prophet Wasallam and Aisha was a power couple. The Prophet Wasallam and zainab was a power couple. The Prophet Wasallam and, uh, and Um Habiba was a power couple. The Prophet Wasallam and Um Salama was a power. They were power couples with every single wife that he had. He was a power couple. I, I, too, am not of the Muslim faith, but found your videos a few weeks ago. The principles are universal. Absolutely. And I want you guys as Muslims to pay attention to this. These are people who are not Muslim, you, and you're more than welcome. Thank you for tuning in, and I really appreciate that. But we have people who are not Muslim who are actually listening and benefiting from the information. The compulsive need to be right all the time can be incredibly destructive in a relationship. Successful couples know how to choose their battles knowing that closeness means more than being right at times. Gaglien is the author of that quote. It's a quote. Successful couples know how to choose their battles knowing that closeness means more than being right at times. Number five, and this is the last hack. So, what do you guys, um, what do you guys think about this? You think that this information is helpful? I'm trying to get a pulse. Do you think that this information is helpful, Sister Khadija? Think this information was helpful moving forward. Okay. Someone said, Tamika, she said, not Muslim as well, but very interested. I love this message. Very good. Alhamdulillah. I'm honored. I'm honored to have you guys join us on the live. I'm honored. Okay. Number five. This is the last hack, right? Invest in yourself so you can invest in your marriage. Invest in yourself so you can invest in your marriage. Invest, this is called self-care. This is called self-care, right? Invest in yourself to invest in your marriage. Pay attention to this. Routines can become mundane. Routines can become mundane, which tends to impact our personal well-being. As it relates to our faith and our practice of our religion, there are times when we need to recalibrate our engagements in order to avoid functioning on autopilot. While not realizing it, so in our faith, much like in our relationships in our practice of our religion, much like our relationships, if we keep going through the routine every day, eventually it becomes mundane and it's not fulfilling anymore, right? You guys ever been in a relationship or in a marriage and it's just not fulfilling, right? It's not fulfilling, you just, you're not feeling it anymore, you know? Some people call it falling out of love, from some people just call it losing interest, all right? But what has happened is that you function on autopilot for so long, that you never took the time to recalibrate. As human beings, we're creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit, and we can do things habitually over and over without realizing it. And so sometimes, you know, even in our daily, our daily, everyday dealings, we have to add a little spice to our life and do something a little different, right? If you go to the gym and you see guys going to the gym, uh, I go to the gym, right? And you'll see these guys, they're they're really buff in the gym. And they do the same thing every time they come to the gym. They do shoulders and and, and chest and pecs. And then they do biceps and back. And then they do this and that. And they're working on the same thing. And then you know the legs look like sticks. I don't understand. And, And I mean, guys, maybe you can explain that to me. Why don't we work on our legs when we, this is just like a sidebar conversation. Why don't we work on our legs when we go to the gym? Like, it just, it looks ridiculous that you're all big up here and your legs are like really thin, not realizing that that's the quickest way to get knocked out. You know, like your stamina comes from your thighs, your knees, your ability to stand your ground. You understand what I'm saying? Like you walking all big up top and you slim at the bottom. Your legs, if I push you hard enough, you're gonna fall on your back. Like I don't understand like why you work out so much on your upper body. And you and you don't even touch your lower body. Anyway, that's a sidebar conversation. Just something I found hilarious. Just kind of looking around the gym. I think in another life I probably would have been a comedian, because I just draw. I just draw hilarity from the stuff that goes on around me. You're just looking around. You're like, dude. At what point do you work on your legs? Like you come here like three, four times a week, and you work on the same body parts. And you don't realize that you're not getting any bigger. (laughs) You're not getting any bigger. (laughs) Simply because you are working on this. It's just now become routine. It's routine. And and your body knows that it's routine. So your body doesn't do anything differently. Your body is not going to give you a different reaction or different response. Because your body has now adapted to the routine. You guys see where I'm going with this? Our relationships function the same way. Our marriages function the same way. When it becomes routine, day in, day out, the same routine, you got to recalibrate. You got to recalibrate so that we avoid functioning on airplane mode all the time, right? I, I think one of the things that women, some women love is to, for a man to be spontaneous, when a woman can predict your moves all the time, as a man, she already knows what your response is gonna be. She already knows when you come home. But when you come home with a surprise, look at how your spouse responses, responds. And this goes for men and women. But I'm talking to the men, just kind of giving them a little tidbit to go with. When you when you do something out of the ordinary, look at how, look at the reaction that you get from your spouse. You do something out of the ordinary. And so being spontaneous with, you know, your marriage and doing something different, recalibrating the the energy that is between you, is necessary. The Prophet ﷺ, he alluded to the fact that faith has a tendency to wither away slowly like the fabric on a garment if the person doesn't nourish it frequently. If we don't nourish our faith, it's going to eventually wither away because we haven't done anything to recalibrate it. The prophet ﷺ, he said indeed faith indeed the faith of one of you will wear out just like a garment becomes worn out over time right So ask Allah implore God to renew your faith, Renew the faith in your hearts because your faith will wither away over time, just like a garment does. Faith does the same exact thing. You get up and for, for those that are Christian that are listening, you get up, you go to church every Sunday, you go back to your regular normal life. You go, you're, you're not doing anything to replenish, you know, your soul. You're not doing anything. The same thing for Muslims, right? Right. Scholars mentioned that we need to frequently renew the way that we engage in our prayers before they become banal. Like this, it's just nothing to it, it becomes mundane. (laughs) Learning new things to incorporate into your your acts of worship, right? Reciting the same surahs, for for those of you who are listening, who have only memorized, you know, maybe a few surahs from the Quran, right? You've only memorized Allahu Think about somebody who only knows Allahu or Kul bi Rabbin Nas or bi These are short surahs, short chapters in the Quran that we recite in our prayers. But if that's all you know, your salat is not having any effect on you. Why? Because the routine has become mundane. And eventually your desire for prayer is going to wither away because you're not adding anything new. You're not recalibrating and adding something new to your prayer. Reciting the same sword over and over and over again can reduce your prayer to mechanical movements with no greater purpose than the fulfillment of a mandatory ritual. It becomes ritualistic. That's it. Right just like challenged in the muscle memory exactly that's why i made the connection between working out and uh you know and and our prayer so if you are going to do your chest and you're going to do your arms and back right one day you just decide you know what today i'm gonna go and i'm gonna work on my core i'm gonna go work on my stomach the stomach muscles are going to be jolted because this the stomach wasn't ready wasn't prepared for that the stomach didn't know The the muscles, the memory in the stomach did not know that you were going to work on the muscles today. So you've now tricked your body by going in a different direction. It's the same thing with your faith. If you're going to do the prayer every single day and your heart, your soul knows that you are about to recite the same sword you recited in the last prayer. The same Surah you recited in the prayer before that, your soul is not pushed, it's not jolted to give you any more energy than it has already given you because it has become accustomed to the routine. Am I making sense? Does this make any sense? You want to jolt your faith, you got to begin to incorporate something new. You got to give it a new experience in order for it to respond. Go do something that you haven't done before or that you haven't done in a while, right? For Muslims, you know, fast on Mondays and Thursdays. You're going to wait until Ramadan comes when you have opportunities right now, when the days are very short, fast Mondays, fast Thursdays. Get up at the third of the night. All right, you pray salatul Isha and you went to sleep and you got up in the third of the night. Your body wasn't prepared for that. Maybe you got up to use the bathroom, right? You got up at three in the morning to use the bathroom. And you say, since I'm up, I'm going to make wudu and I'm going to just pray. Watch how your body responds. Watch how your soul responds. I guarantee you, if you don't believe me, try it. Guarantee you. The shock of it, right? It's the shock. Do something that you haven't done in a while or do something that you haven't done before. To kickstart your faith. You know what I mean? To To recalibrate. Otherwise, you're going to keep doing the same routine over and over again until you lose interest. This is one of the reasons why some people lose interest in praying, in Salat. Did you ever wonder why some people who just stop praying altogether because they don't see any value in the prayer? Because you haven't invested anything in your prayer. You don't know the tashahhud. You don't know Salat Ibrahimiya. You haven't memorized anything other than the things that you have been saying for the past five years in your prayer. And so therefore, your prayer is just routine. It doesn't do much for you. So it's very easy for you to say, well, I'm not going to pray this prayer, or I'm not going to pray that prayer, or I'm not going to pray this prayer, because it wasn't really serving you anyway. It wasn't really serving you anyway. And believe it or not, this is one of the reasons why people can walk away from their marriages. Because the marriage is not serving. You you haven't invested anything into the marriage. It's the routine of coming home, seeing the same face, seeing the same person, getting the same energy every single day from the person. Nobody is working on anything individually to bring back to the marriage. And Perhaps this is one of the reasons why the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he did different things in the prayer, he said different things in the salat as to provide a pool of alternatives for people who were seeking a deeper spiritual engagement with their prayers. Unfortunately, marriages tend to get a little stale or routine-ish over time. Given the many responsibilities on the shoulders of husbands and wives on a daily basis, The opportunities to add more to the emotional, physical, and intellectual intimacy of their personal relationships tend to be very slim. So with the husband working, the wife working, the boyfriend working, the girlfriend working, and, you know, we're doing everything, you know, in terms of work, right? And we're doing very little for our own personal selves. So we don't really have much to bring back to the table of our own average. Thus we need time. We need time to invest in ourselves, which helps to replenish our spirits and in terms in turn helps us to invest more in our marriages. By investing in yourself and your own well-being, it shows your spouse that you want to be at your best for them. You can't pour from an empty cup, and you cannot continue to show up for your marriage giving the bare minimum. Aren't you tired of giving the bare minimum in your marriage? Aren't you tired of giving your marriage, which is your investment with this person? You've been in a relationship with this person for two years, three years. That's an investment. Those are years of your life that you can never get back. That's an investment. You've been married to this person for five years, six years, 10 years. That's an investment. You're investing time, you're investing energy, you're investing your your body your physical body you're investing your mental you're investing so much don't you think that that marriage your investment deserves more of you aren't you tired of giving the bare minimum i mean even down even down to sexual intimacy i I don't even want to go there but There's some people who have been giving sexual intimacy the same exact way. You haven't learned how to do anything new, haven't haven't tried anything new, it's just the same old, same old, you know what I mean? Which, here again, the routine of it, it gets mundane over time. I didn't really wanna go there, but... Sex becomes mundane, becomes routine, becomes a problem. So by investing in yourself and your own well-being, it shows your spouse that you want to be at your best for them. You cannot pour from an empty cup. and You cannot continue to show up for your marriage, giving the bare minimum. Therefore, it is imperative that you find ways to invest in yourself, which in turn is an investment for your marriage. I'm going to end with this um, uh, hadith that I mentioned yesterday, uh, Friday in the Khutbah, that the Prophet ﷺ he came home one day. Um, the Prophet ﷺ came home one day and he said to Aisha, um, "Give me time tonight. Give me, let, give me tonight to let me worship Allah Subhanahu." Give me, give me, don't bother me tonight. Just leave me tonight and let me worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let me worship God tonight. And Aisha said to him, there is nothing that I love more than you being close to me at night. But I also love what makes you happy. And so he went on to perform salat that night while crying profusely in his prayer until Bilal called the adhan for salat the Prophet understood the value of taking time for oneself to replenish the soul, as absence makes the hearts grow fonder, especially when your absence is as a result of you engaging in things that you love the most. Absence makes the hearts grow fonder, but it is even more the the absence is even greater when you're absent because you are engaging in things that give you fulfillment, things that give make you feel whole, right? And Salat, prayer was one of the few things from this world that Prophet Muhammad found pleasure in. As he mentioned in a hadith, ilayya min There are three things from this life of this world of yours that I love. Women, perfume, and the pleasure of my eye is in prayer. He loves Salat. Fi salat. He loved praying. That's where he found pleasure. So he asked Aisha, you know, don't bother me tonight. Just give me tonight and let me just pray tonight. Let me pray. Just just give me the night off as a husband and let me just pray. Because by me praying for the whole night, crying to God and pouring my heart out to God, replenishing my soul is going to work out for your benefit. Because when when you get up in the morning, I'm going to feel refreshed. I'm going to feel spiritually invigorated. I'm going to be able to pour more into you because I've had an opportunity to pour into me. You understand how that works? The Prophet said, and the pleasure of my eye is in prayer. He had to ask Aisha permission. Hey, do you mind tonight if I just Just let me worship tonight. Excuse me from my normal husband duties. And just let me pray. Let me worship my Lord. You understand? Because by doing so, I'm doing what I love doing the most, which comes back to benefit you. Make sense? Self-care. It's called self-care, but... When you're in a relationship with someone, when you're in a marriage with someone, the more you pour into yourself, the more you can pour into your marriage. And I I mean, I can go on and on and on all day about things that can give you, you know, fulfillment, but only you know. You know best what the things that give you fulfillment. So some of the things that you can do to care for yourself is number one, exercise. Feeling good about yourself physically. You can tell when someone feels good about themselves physically. It shows in the way that they walk. It shows in the way that they talk. It shows in the way that they dress. It shows in the way that they carry themselves. They feel good about themselves. You wanna feel, you gotta invest, exercise. Number two, eating healthy. Some people are so obsessed with losing weight and getting in the gym, losing weight starts with your eating, your diet. Eating healthy, cutting out sugar, cutting out carbs, cutting out things that are unhealthy. And for those of our non-Muslim friends that are listening, you know, cutting out alcohol, cutting out alcohol, cutting out, you know, I run into people, uh, I run into people who grew up with me. You know, I see people, you know, who around the same age bracket as I'm, I'm in. And um, they always say, oh man, your skin is glowing. You look..." So, it's like, well, life would treat you much better if you stopped drinking and drugging. <laughs> life would be much more fair to you if you stopped drinking and drugging. Stop smoking weed, stop drinking alcohol. Eliminate these vices from your life, man. I get it, you know, life gets stressful, but you have to find another way to deal with your stressors. Not submerge yourself further and further in the abyss of, you know, traumatizing behaviors. You know what I mean? Like, stop drinking and drugging. I promise you, that's a start. That is a start. Change your diet. Eat healthy. you would be amazed at how food and fruits and vegetables, how that changes your attitude how that affects you know, how you engage the world around you. Number, number three, take time out for yourself. Even if it's just little moments, doesn't mean that you have to take a whole weekend and go away for a weekend, but sometimes you might need that. Sometimes you might need that, but take time out for yourself just to think. Sometimes I leave out in the morning and I go grab my coffee and just that ride, that. 30-minute ride, 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back. That 30-minute ride, I need that. I need that. My sons, oh, can we ride with you? No, no, no. No, I'm I'm going by myself. I need this moment for me. This is my time. And as I'm riding in my car, I'm either, you know, thinking, you know, or I'll put on a lecture, something that, you know, by the way, you guys need to check out Dr. Joy Degray, something that I shared a long time ago, but I kind of revisited, revisited her conversation on post-traumatic slave syndrome, Dr. Joy Degray on YouTube. Go check her out, man. I've been I've been revisiting that, um, you know, just in light of everything that's going on with, um, you know, the, the murders and the killings amongst African American men, and um, I just you know it's just really disheartening, man. It's really disheartening what what's happened to to us as a community. At any rate um find a hobby find something that you enjoy doing this is something that's very very important for men because we're usually very hands-on we're usually very hands-on you know one of the worst things that they did in a lot of the inner city schools is to remove shop class from the schools that was very important that was actually one of my favorite subjects man i i look forward in the morning going to school waiting for shop class waiting for shop class, man. And unfortunately, you know, because for boys that are very active and, you know, have a lot going on in their lives, you know, the way that they process things, we're not going to sit at a table with a notebook in front of us taking notes and asking questions. Like we don't, the average boy doesn't engage education like that. We need stuff that's hands-on. We need to be able to do things. So for men, Find a hobby, find something that you enjoy doing, find something that you find you can lose yourself, right? Post-traumatic slave syndrome, Dr. Joy D. Gray. All right. Well, we know why they took out shop class. They took out shop class um, because it wasn't in the budget because they begin to pull the resources out of the black schools so they can create the school to prison pipeline. Because when young black boys don't have something to do with their hands, then they find something to do in the streets. So removing the shop classes, we're pulling the resources from uh, the black schools help to create the the school to prison pipeline. So rather than them graduating from school going on to become plumbers you know going on to become handymen or carpenters they go to straight to prison now so we know why they did that we know exactly why they did that uh, meanwhile in, in many of the you know the more affluent neighborhoods these schools these type of classes these type of shops they still exist science labs and everything else this stuff still exists so their children don't have to worry about D, uh, E, create a bucket list. Create a bucket list. Things that you would like to do before you depart from this world. And begin checking those bucket, begin checking those things off, right? <laughs> right, They and they teach shop in prison instead, right? So you gotta go to prison to get the shop class, right? You're, you're absolutely right, Amir. Absolutely. So you can go to prison and you can get shop class. You can get mechanics class. You can get all these other classes that they pulled out of the high school. Right. Such such so profound. Amir. Thank you for that. So profound. So they remove the shop classes, mechanic class and all of these other classes. They remove these shops. Right. Home economics. They remove this stuff from the schools and they put them in prison. So now when you know this kid goes to prison, he got to go to school in prison and then he can take a shop class in prison. So you pull it out of the school system and you put it in prison. Very good, Amir, thank you for that, that connection, mashallah. Yeah, go figure. So now you can go to prison and learn shop in prison, right? And then work in the prison for free. All right. so, and, and create a bucket list, all right? Create a bucket list, all right? And begin checking, you know, checking off the things on your list um, that you would like to, you know, that you would like to complete before you depart from this world. All right, so that, I, I'm going to leave you guys with that. Thank you guys for your, your engagement. Thank you guys for listening. I, I really do appreciate it. And hopefully you guys will find this uh, information uh, beneficial inshallah, as you move to um, a better place in your marriage. You know, we, we all want to move to a better place in our marriages, man. You know, many of us grew up in households where we didn't see healthy relationships in our homes. We didn't see healthy relationships in our homes. So we're, we're, we're kind of figuring it out as we go along. As I put a post out last night, we have to stop doing on the job training you know, we just, we know we're a mess. We know that we don't have what it takes to maintain a marriage. Anybody can get married. But do you have what it takes to maintain a marriage? And many of us don't. And so we know that going into the marriage. So we go in figuring, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out as we go along. You know, I'll, I'll figure it out. You know, and then once the marriage gets too heavy for us, like, man, I I am with all this, man. I'm out of here. You know, I ain't got time for all this. And we leave and we leave. Knowing that we were not equipped from from the very beginning. But if you are in a marriage right now, you're in a relationship, you should be moving towards a marriage. And if you're married right now, you should be assessing your marriage right now. You should be assessing your marriage your relationship right now and figuring out how do I make this last? How do I make this work? I got a, a good man, I got a good woman, I got a good situation here. How do I keep this? How do I maintain this? It's like somebody giving you a million dollars, telling you, you know, make something of yourself. What do you do? What do you do? Somebody drop a million dollars in your lap and tell you make something of yourself. This is the problem with a lot of rappers or whatever they call themselves helping their friends out in the hood. But you have given a guy thirty thousand dollars who's who's never had more than thousand dollars in his hands, or has had money but you know blow all the money that he gets. You ever seen people like that? You got you got money but you blow through it because you don't you don't value money. You don't value what money not value money. You don't value what money can do for you. You don't value what money can do for you, the opportunities that that money can provide for you, the doors that money can open for you, the rooms that money can put you in. You don't value any of that. So you can give a guy thirty thousand dollars. You can give a guy fifty thousand dollars and call yourself helping him out. But that's not helping him. That's furthering his troubles. Because as soon as he blow through that, he's gonna come back asking for more. You fish for a man he eats for a day. Teach him how to fish, you ain't gotta, you ain't gotta feed him no more. You understand? You fish for a person, and, and this is what we're doing. We're fishing for you. So we wanna be able to present and package information in a way where we're teaching you how to fish for yourself. You are in a marriage right now. You are in a marriage right now. You're fishing. You need to learn how to fish. So that means that you need to grab information from everywhere that you possibly can so that you can maintain what you have. You can maintain what you have. But to sit there with this Whole marriage in front of you, replete with children and investments and all types of investments, and not figure out new ways of how to make this situation work, you reap what you sow. You get out what you put in. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Don't forget to support Masjid al Rawbah. Uh, We are in, you know, the middle stages of kind of securing our facility, inshallah ta'ala. We have uh, two more weeks before the end of the the year. And um, pretty much our year-long campaign will be over uh, in terms of fundraising. And uh, we hope that uh, we will have our building together and open and ready for Ramadan, inshallah. That's what we're shooting for. Uh, So please keep us in your dua. Please continue to donate. Uh, you can go to our website, ww.rolhamessjid.com, R-A-W-D-A-H-Robamessjid.com. Um, we have a, a, um, a litany of scholars and teachers and classes that you know we have going on uh, that'll be starting in January. Uh, we have Sheikh Kasha, we have Dr. Hasan Akbar, we have Sister Hanima, the Oliveira, we have you know some great, we have a great lineup of um, teachers that are gonna come on and uh, teach their courses. Inshallah ta'ala, continue to support the effort. Uh, when I go live, inshallah, we have the badges set up so you can donate in, in that way. Uh, we have our Wednesday, $100 Wednesday, where every Wednesday we encourage everybody to donate $100 uh, and your money is being put to good use. I promise you. Um, so support the masjid, support the classes. If you're looking for more information, inshallah ta'ala, you can go to my YouTube page. Uh, Shadid Muhammad S H A D E E D Muhammad, uh, and you can find a you know a slew of videos there, you know, from, ranging from different top, topics. Um, I, I don't know about the classes. You can send the admin an email. I'm not really um, sure about the um, particulars of the situation. But everybody who bought a badge, who donated today, I really do appreciate you. May Allah subhanahu wa taala bless you. The masjid will be in Newark, Delaware. The masjid will be in Newark, Delaware, inshallah. So hopefully within the next few weeks, uh, we'll begin, we'll finish up the process of purchasing the facility and hopefully we'll begin uh, getting the facility ready. And uh, by Ramadan, inshallah, we should be ready to rock and roll. We should be open and ready during Ramadan, inshallah, for Ramadan. Please make dua for us. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Uh, thank you for your husnu istima, for your good listening. And inshallah, I will keep you guys posted as it relates to the next discussion. I don't always have a lot of free time. My, my schedule is very hectic. But when I do, I do like to take time out to share the information that I have with you all. Hopefully the information was beneficial and you guys can begin implementing this starting today, Inshallah. Alright, jazakum allahu khayran wa sallallahu ala nabi Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa Salamatislim taslimin kathira wa subhanaka rabbika rabbil izzati amma Yasifun, wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi alameen was salamu Arikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.